Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Matthew chapter 6. You guys have a good Thanksgiving? Father, we pray as we always do, we, we seek you, it's, it's your word, you inspired the writers to write these things, to record these things by your spirit. It's your spirit, the same spirit who dwells within us that dwelt within them, and you promise us that he is the spirit of truth, and that he'll teach us all things, and he will remind us of all things, and And so we pray, Lord, that you would now give us not only ears to hear what your spirit, what you had to say, Lord, Lord, so long ago in this Sermon on the Mount, but that our hearts would be open, that we'd be open to your spirit speaking to us individually, corporately. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through, as you know, the Sermon on the Mount. We are actually studying Mark's gospel account, and I mentioned that when we got chronologically to the place where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, that we would drop back to Matthew, study that. So that's what we're doing right now, but we're actually, as soon as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to jump right back into our Mark study in Mark chapter 3. Guys... You know, I'm always exhorting you, I've been doing this for so long, exhorting folks that attend this church to be in the Word, to read the Word, to study the Word, to apply the Word to your life. We know that faith comes by the Word. It's the Word of God. It's not through experiences or, you know, things like that. A lot of people think that it's all based upon that, you know. Listen, If you don't have a foundation of the word, you'll soon forget the experience. It just will not have a lasting uh, impact upon your life. But as you look at the word, as you study the word, it's interesting. For example, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I've noticed just in reading the Sermon on the Mount, reading it through each week, that um, heaven is mentioned quite a bit in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus, he's talking about kingdom principles, you know, how he wants his disciples to live. And he mentions heaven 18 times, at least at my count, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And it's almost as if the Lord is just reminding his readers at that time, his hearers, those who are listening to these words, that there's heaven, there's heaven, there's heaven. We just sang it, you know, that last song, the Revelation song. You know, that is scripture, Uh, A lot of people, they don't ever want to read the book of Revelation. They're afraid of the book of Revelation. Why? It's scripture. Read it. I don't know how to read it. Read it the way you'd read any book, chronologically. You don't read it upside down or from (laughs) the end of the chapter forward. You read it from the beginning, and you'll see that there is chronological order in the book, in the prophecy. You see heaven 18 times. You see father, I think, 17 times. Again, the Lord just drawing attention, focusing on the Father. It's the Father in heaven, as we saw last week. So again, just that reminder, we have a heavenly Father, and he's in heaven. It's not just, you know, uh, you know the big man upstairs, or however some might 
approach him. There are many things we see in the word. Last week we began chapter 6, and I mentioned just from the reading of it, you could see it, that Jesus took three expressions of worship, and he told us how not to do it and how to do it. The first expression of worship is giving. He told us what not to do. Don't do it like them. Don't do it like the Pharisees. Don't do it like the hypocrites. They like to draw attention to themselves. They're, they're focused on themselves. They want people to pay attention to them. Don't do it like them. And then prayer, same thing. He told us how to pray, taught us exactly how to pray in that prayer, that, that model prayer that he gave us. We studied it last week. But he says, don't pray like them. Uh, they, they like to pray on the street corners or in the synagogue so that they might be seen, so that they might be heard by men. Don't do what they do. And so last week when we looked at the model prayer, we read these words, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now that was part of the prayer, but Jesus went on to say, and this is not part of the prayer, In verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so here's an exhortation, a command to forgive. The word trespass, it means a side slip or lapse or deviation. It speaks of an unintentional or willful transgression. So it doesn't matter if it was accidental or if it was on purpose. Jesus says, forgive. Forgive. you got to forgive. To hold a grudge, to allow bitterness and, and unforgiveness to set in, to say to yourself, I will never forgive this person for this thing, or I cannot forgive that person for that thing that they did to me, is is very natural. It's a natural thing. Guys, listen, if you you haven't, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, I mean, even a week, you know that the walk with Jesus is not a natural walk. It's a supernatural walk. It's a spiritual walk. And, And he gives us what's needed to walk this spiritual walk. He gives us his spirit. You know, the believer isn't waiting for the Holy Spirit to come into him or her. The the believer receives the Spirit of God. In fact, that is the seal of our redemption. That is the proof that we are truly born again, born of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit, no doubt, as we're walking with the Lord, as we're praying, as we're doing what the Lord's called us to do, that's going to convict our hearts. Now, I know that, you know, some people... They just feel like it's, it's too hard, I can't do it. Jesus, you call me to do the unnatural thing. You teach me to go the extra mile to, to forgive. How could I forgive this person? Do you know that when we don't forgive, we really place ourselves at the mercy of the torturers? You know, we, we allow ourselves really to be tortured because of our own unforgiveness. It has an effect upon us. It doesn't just, it's almost like the leaven, you know. It doesn't just, it's not just focused in, to one person. It has a way of just kind of permeating our whole life. 
And, and we might find that we're very short with people, you know. You've crossed the line, and now you're on my list, and now I'll never forgive you, you know. And, and there's just kind of this attitude of, of uh, you know, coldness and indifference toward people. You know, I know there are people that you might have had a, if I could put it this way, a lousy parent. You know, we kind of have expectations for our parents, don't we? We expect our, our parent, our parents. A lot of people don't have parents. They're, one is missing in the action. Usually it's the father, not always, but many times. And you can build up resentment. You know, I wish my dad would have been there. I wish my mother would have, you know, had my back, whatever it might be, you know, and you could just build up this resentment and, and, and you could talk to people, I've talked to people, you know, that are elderly and, and they just will not let go of this bone of unforgiveness. It's like, well, do you, do you see that parent? Do you ever talk to that parent? No, they're dead and gone. They're long gone. So you're still carrying this. They're gone and yet you're still carrying this. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. It's freeing to do this. And of course, our motivation to forgive is because we've been forgiven, Right? See, again, this is why it's so important as Christians, we're in the Word of God. I'll give you an example. You guys know many examples in the Scriptures. Colossians 3, 1. Bearing, one another, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If any has a complaint against another, here, here's the standard, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. So, when we came to faith in Christ, the Lord didn't say, listen, I'm glad you came to me today. You've placed your faith in me. And I, I promise that I will forgive you of 50% of your sins. I promise that right now, today. Today, 50%. Yeah. Or even 95% or 99%. But again, Colossians, Paul wrote, and you being dead in your trespasses, And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So there's this motivation. I've been forgiven, therefore I should forgive. How can I hold a grudge? You know, if the Lord's forgiven me, I, I must, I must, I need to forgive. Of course, we see examples of this throughout the scriptures. Remember when Peter asked the Lord, it was almost as if he thought he was going to impress the Lord, you know. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. You know, oh, Peter, oh, that's so impressive. He wasn't impressed at all. He goes, no, I say to you seven times seven. The point is you just keep forgiving. And then Jesus, of course, told the parable of the unmerciful servant to make his point. And so moving on, verse 16 Moreover, when you fast, so now he gets to that third expression of worship. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites or the pretenders with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So again, Jesus saying there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Now, fasting is a time for self-denial. This is a a practice. This is a um, 
discipline, if you will, Christian discipline. Of course, the Jews fasted. You know, the, we see in Isaiah 53, in fact, um, the prophet Isaiah speaking as the Lord gave him the utterance, the words. In Isaiah 53, we see what not to do. They were doing it. They were doing it wrong. Don't do it this way. And then he goes on. I'll read it to you. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bounds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every bond? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him? And listen, listen to this. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. You know, it's not, I'm going to fast until you get that person that I've refused to forgive. No, I'm going to fast until you speak to me, Lord. And the Lord will speak to us. It says, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your hearing, or healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then, see, when you're fasting the right way, then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry, and it goes on from there. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And so Jesus says, I want you to fast, but when you fast, you need to fast in a way that no one knows you're fasting. I remember the first time I went on a seven-day fast. Now I'm saying it, and you say, well, you're boasting about it. Well, no, it wasn't for the Lord. It was when I was in high school, and I thought I was a disciple of Maharishi Yogi. And I was reading his writings and, you know, was talking about the benefits of fasting, you know, depriving your body of food. And, and that fast was a complete fast, nothing but water for seven days. And, uh, boy, I was a wreck. I don't know how people do it. I benefited nothing from it because, of course, it was, there was no purpose in it. There was no meaning behind it. It was just something I wanted to try It's as if Jesus is saying to his people, when you do things, don't be weird about it. Just be normal. Don't don't draw attention to yourself because it it just, you know, if if you get the attention of men, that is your reward. I mean, that's what he says. If you want the attention of men and you get the attention of men, then that's your reward. But if you want the attention of God, do it in secret. Do it as unto him. You know, it's interesting. He says they disfigure their faces. I wonder, you know, do you ever wonder when you read the scriptures? I know that there's different shows and movies and stuff like that out. And it's always awkward when they, you know, have the Jesus figure. And, and, and you know, we all probably have objections to what we see on, on, on the screen. We say, oh, Jesus would never do that or this. But you wonder if when he was speaking, even when he was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the, speaking these things on the Mount, if 
if there was sarcasm a little bit or, or, or maybe, you know, some laughing involved. I wonder if when he says they disfigure their faces, I wonder if he disfigured his face so that those sitting there, those listening to him, looking at him, could say, you know what, that is ridiculous. Sometimes, you know, examples need to be made so that you realize how, how silly it is. I picture these, the Pharisees, of course, they seem to be always the example of what not to do, the Pharisees. But you, you picture them, I mean, what were they doing, walking around sucking their cheeks in? Everyone knew that they fasted twice a week anyway. They'd fast on Mondays and Thursdays. So that was a given. Everyone knew that the, the Pharisees were constantly fasting. And if there was a feast that happened to land in the week, you know, they would fast during that time as well. And, but I wonder, you know, the, the, the sucking in the cheek so that they might appear to be fasting. Listen, if you're fasting, don't wear a t-shirt that says, please do not offer me food, I'm fasting. <laughs> or... Or, and I remember these days, you know, I remember as a young Christian, sometimes young Christians, you know, they just do things that are silly. You don't accept an invitation for dinner. (laughs) And then when you arrive, you tell your host, I won't be eating tonight, I'm fasting. That's drawing attention to you. That was just silly. I mean, it was like, you know, why did you accept the invitation? You shouldn't have accepted the invitation or you should have canceled, you know. Final note on fasting. To simply deprive the body of food is not necessarily fasting. See, nowadays, you know, everyone's got the battle of the bold most of us do, you know, and, and so there's this intermediate fasting, you know, and you think, hey, I could, I could uh, kill two birds with one stone, you know, <laughs> I could do this, it's good for the body, but lose a few pounds. No, 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 no. It's got to be to the Lord, for the Lord, unto the Lord. So we must devote ourselves to the Lord. We must draw near Him. Unless our heart is a heart of devotion, there will be no lasting spiritual benefit. But I'll tell you, there are times when you're really going through it, or maybe times when you really need to hear the Lord, and there's a lot of distractions. And I'll tell you, a time of fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer, they always go together. You never just fast. Fasting and prayer can be so beneficial, and there could be some you know, real clarity to where the Lord could speak to you. So moving on, it says, Do not, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I like that. Bottom line, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's true isn't it? I mean, if, you, if you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you know this to be true. I was talking with one of the brothers between services, and we're just talking about stuff, and how, you know, a lot of times as people, we want stuff. And, and, and I said, you know what? I can't think of one thing, you know, 
thing that I wanted so badly and finally got it that brought me any lasting satisfaction. I mean, it just, it's so short-lived. It just, and, and I can't think of one thing that I got that I look back even today and say, I'm so glad I got that thing. I mean, it's just, it's a thing. And it just does not hold value. I, I mean, it, it really, it, it is temporal. And we know this um, just through life. Everything's temporal. Everything. Guys, think for a moment. Not just things are temporal, but on one hand, from the earth's perspective, and I want to emphasize that, from the earth's perspective, even relationships are temporal. I mean, we have relationships with people, and if they don't know the Lord or we don't know the Lord, uh, you know, there's not going to be this lasting, eternal relationship with them. It will end. It will end, and it will just cease to exist, and it will never, you'll never experience anything with them ever again. So, laying up treasures for yourself. The actual Greek might read better, do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. Again, the idea is that the earthly treasures are temporary, they're fading away. Again, the Pharisees. The Pharisees apparently were constantly building up Treasures on earth. Guys, we live in a strange time, a strange time in church history, because we have, all we need to do is turn on our television sets to Christian television, and we see Christian celebrities living like celebrities. I mean, like any celebrity, like a, a you know, a an athlete or a professional athlete or a movie star or music star. I mean, they're living the same kind of life. But they're servants of the Lord. I mean, it seems so silly, they're servants of the Lord. I'm a servant. I don't know too many servants that have jets that they could fly around at their whim, you know, and they're wanting new jets. I mean, the one they have isn't good enough, and so now I need more. Do you guys remember? I mean, I I remember, I won't mention names because people get all uptight, but there was a, a, a TV evangelist. He was extremely famous, and this is going back to the late 70s, maybe early 80s. My time frame might be off. And he basically said that Jesus told him that he needed to raise a huge amount of money. And if he didn't, I think the Lord was going to kill him or something. I was just, you know, let's just see what happens. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you throw a threat like that out there, let's got to see what happens. Step back. And, but anyway, you know, this manipulation. And, and I remember it was kind of like the first of its kind. And the world was all on it. They're saying, can you believe this guy? Can you believe he's saying this to people? And then there was kind of the follow-up. Can you believe that there are people that are actually sending in money to this guy? This guy's a charlatan. He's a crook. How would anyone think that this guy is legit? Now, of course, we look back at that and we say, man, that happens on a weekly basis now. 
I mean, it happens all over the country. It happens in different parts of the world, not all of the world, because, of course, that type of manipulation doesn't work in other places. You can't talk about wealth and how the Lord wants you to be rich and, you know, you need to have the best car and the biggest house and all of these things. See, that doesn't work if you live in a country where the majority of the people are living in poverty. It doesn't work. It only works in places where people are greedy for more. It's a manipulation. When I first got saved, I, um, I, you know, I placed my faith in the Lord, and I was so excited about walking with Him. And it was a matter of weeks, maybe a month or, or, or more. And someone came up to me, a Christian person came up to me, and they wanted to share this wonderful thing with me. You know, I felt like I was going to hear the gospel number two or something. You know, it was this great thing that they're going to share with me. And they asked Tracy and I over to their home, and they had a grease board. In fact, I think that's the very first time in my life that I ever saw a grease board. I knew what chalkboards were, but grease boards, that was high technology. And um, he began to draw circles. Do you know where I'm going? To draw circles on a board and to talk about this thing and this great business opportunity. But of course, I was a Christian, so he had to, he had to adapt it a bit. Think of how much money you could give to missions. See, if you get more, you'll have more to give. And so that was the appeal. And I remember it just was so distasteful. It really was distasteful. You know, it was Amway. If it goes by different names now, I have to be careful because I've had people over the years, when I give the Amway example, they get up in a huff and they storm out because I speak against this pyramid scheme. The point is this. Paul wrote to Timothy, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. That should put things into perspective. Oh, by the way, we have help, don't we? Because we live in a strange time. We live in a time, if you're paying attention, we live in a time where whatever money you may have put away, it is vanishing away. The value of that money is diminishing, even as you sit here today. I mean, you know, I personally, I get kind of ill when I think of what homes are going for. Now, uh, my wife and I, we, we don't own a home. We are buying a home. You know how that goes, you know. If we live for another 30 years, you know, possibly we'll own a home. But, but you know, the, the problem. So from, from those, and it depends on where you're at, see, because if, if you're looking at it from just a you know, personal perspective, you could say, my house right now is worth so much more than I paid for it. It makes me sick because I have, I have a big family. I have adult kids. I have a whole load of grandkids. I think of my kids. How are they ever going to be able to afford a house? 
to buy a dump for $400,000 that is going to need a fixer-upper? I mean, that, that's depressing to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. But think of how much your house is worth. Listen, if we're living that way to where it's all centered around us, we're missing the whole point. What we should realize that, you know, things are not going well right now in our country and in the world. But if we know the scriptures, we're not surprised by this because we know that there is a push. There is a push. A push for what? A push for a, a, a one world world com, commerce. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Currency. Yes. <laughs> that was easy for me. Uh, a one world government. I mean, this is what we see coming. This push for this. And we're watching the things that, are, that have been happening for the past two years. They're helping all of this line up. As Americans, we look at our country. I'm not being political. I'm just, being, I'm just observing what's happening. We look at our country and you say, this is happening on purpose. They're doing this on purpose to us, you know. And it's troubling to watch these things happen. But as a Christian... I am reminded you can't take it with you. In fact, there's a theme. There's, there's not just what Jesus is teaching here, but, but there is an underlying theme that we've, we're seeing here. In verse 11 in the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And then we, we just looked at it in verse 19, uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then verse 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. And then next week, we'll see, do not worry about your life. There's a theme. See, guys, if we're not catching it, we're not going to be prepared. Because we don't know what tomorrow has in store for us. We don't know how things may go sideways very, very quickly for us. We've had folks in our church. We have a family member in our family that has lost their job because of COVID uh, vaccine mandates. So it, it hits, you know, this is a, so now they're looking. Well, all these other companies want the vaccination. You say, well, that's just the world we live in. Listen, he works remotely. He works at home. He works in this office here. It doesn't make sense. A time is coming, we're told in the book of Revelation, that no one will be able to buy or sell. This is economy without the mark. We say, yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. I think that's symbolic of something else. What, symbolic of what? No one will be able to buy or sell without a mask? I mean, where, where are we going? It's just, it's just building. It's going, to a, it's going in a certain direction. And we should, as Christians, we should be aware of the fact that, listen, I don't know what may come. I don't know if we in America, Christians in America, might suffer persecution. You know what I do know? I know that there are more Christians suffering persecution today around the world than at any other time in church history. Does that blow your mind? That blows my mind every time I hear the stats on that. 
So for us in America, we could say, hey, man, the value of my house has gone up, and I still got my job, and everything's going good. How selfish that is. Because we have brothers and sisters that don't have anything. They're suffering. What they had was taken away from them and given to others. And I mean, it's just, it's just, it's horrible what's happening in the world. You say, well, you're bumming me out, Dan. I'm not trying to bum you out. I'm just trying to get us to think biblically because we don't know what may come. And the Lord is really giving us help here. He says, listen, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Our treasure should be Christ. Our treasure should be the Lord. Our treasure should be these eternal things. That's where our treasure should be. Because if it's not, if it's on this earth, we will, we will despair every time something new comes out. And guys, you know it. Every day something new comes out. I asked if you had a nice Thanksgiving, you know. I know it's hard for some when they can't get together with family and everything, and especially with all the weirdness going on. But, you know, we had, we had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving with our family. I'd love to, you know, we, we get together all the time anyway. So it's not like Thanksgiving is just like an excuse to get together in the middle of the week type of thing, you know. But um, Thanksgiving, you have a wonderful time. You know, we did the things that we do at Thanksgiving. We eat, we snack. And then we eat a little more. And then we have our pies, our desserts. And then we play bingo for, for gifts, you know. And, and we just have a fun night. The next morning, I come into the church, open up my computer. And there it is. What? Bad news. Stock Martin. <laughs> new, new stream. I mean, it's like all these different things. And it's like, oh, Lord, it's never going to go away. And that's the point. It's never going to go away. But he remains the same. His word remains the same. And we need to be focused on him. What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? I, I think of this. 1 Timothy 6, 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. These are, these are sending, these are storing up treasures in heaven. The things that God counts as heavenly treasures are things that the world mocks at. Listen, where your treasure is. Your heart, it can only be in one place, and it needs to be on him. Now, let me finish this up. I'm almost done here. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, you, if therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Was Jesus saying that either our eye is directed on heavenly things and therefore filled with light or on earthly things and therefore filled with darkness? It seems to fit with the context. Where our eye is directed, the rest of our being will follow. And then Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either they will hate one and love the other, or else they will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
The Lord is so faithful to his children. He, he takes care of his children. He, 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 he provides for his children. I mean, nowhere in the scripture do we see that the Lord says, yeah, just sit back and don't do anything. And, you know, I'll just kind of drop some food at your doorstep, you know, at two o'clock. And, you know, I don't know. But he provides for us. He provides for us the means. He provides for us jobs, if you have a job, you know. He provides a, a body that's able to function, you know. If you're working, you need your, your body, physical strength and everything. We should give him thanks for all of those things. But I'll tell you, have you known people? I've known people. We've all known people that almost waste their life pursuing riches, almost like that's the answer. I personally, you know, I, I've been young, now I am old, and this is what I've learned. I, I am glad that the Lord, that my life, that our life has gone the way it's gone. We've never had an abundance, but we've never lacked, ever. And I am so glad that that was our experience because... I think of, you know, we've known people over the years that their parents have died and maybe, maybe they have a trust fund or a huge inheritance and they don't have to work anymore. And I'll tell you, I think it's almost ruined them. I don't think it helped them. I think it ruined them. I, I think that, you know, if, if we're idle... That's not a good thing. It seems to me, just an observation, that some of the more involved people in churches and ministries and parachurch ministries and stuff are people who are busy people. They're not the person who's sitting back and saying, you know, yeah, once I retire, then I'll invest some time in kingdom stuff or, you know, heaven, heavenly stuff, you know. I just find that people that are busy people, they just seem to have time. The Lord enables them to have time to, to do these other things because he's so faithful, he's so good to his people. Jesus doesn't say it's hard to serve two masters. He says it's impossible, can't happen. Guys, you know, whenever you talk about, or the Bible talks about money, I think that a lot of us, we, we give ourselves an out. Because I would venture to say that probably everyone here, and probably those even listening online or downstairs, probably the majority of people, regardless of what you have in your savings account or, or whatever it might be, whatever you own, that type of your assets, the majority of people would say, I'm not rich, so therefore it doesn't apply to me. But you know that <laughs> this, this is not for rich people. You could be poor and be greedy and be pursuing stuff and wealth and I, I'm going to get this thing and once I get this thing, then I'll be happy. Jesus is calling us to an allegiance to him to go wherever he wants us to go, to do whatever he wants us to do. I've told the story many times. It's probably a bad illustration, but 
you know, we had a, a family dog, a golden retriever, and uh, his name was Jake. And Jake was like probably a lot of golden retrievers in that breed, very rambunctious. As a puppy, he was everywhere. And um, he would take off. We called him Houdini because he would just escape all the time. And, and we would drive around the neighborhood. And, and we had a little tag that had his name and then our phone number. And so we were constantly getting phone calls. We got a phone call one time. He escaped. We didn't even know he escaped, you know. And, and uh, the Christian school called and they said, Hi, we have Jake down here. Um, he's in the office. He came down to give us a visit. We said, oh, okay, <laughs> we'll be right down. I think the worst time is when Jake went to a funeral, a graveside funeral, out of the cemetery, out of town here. And, um, and then someone caught him, and they got his tag, and they weren't as happy about it. They said, you need to come down here and get Jake. He's disturbing our graveside ceremony, you know. Jake. I remember the first day uh, we brought him home, he was, you know, almost a year, so he was still had a lot of puppy in him. And uh, we, we took him to the beach, and one of the kids threw a, a you know, piece of wood in the water, and Jake went for the wood and passed it up and kept going. And I'm standing on the beach with all my little ones, and I'm thinking, this is it. This will be the first major tragedy in their life. You know, the dog. But Jake, he was a family dog. He loved, he was rambunctious and everything. And I always wanted a golden retriever because we had friends that had a golden retriever, and their golden retriever would, would sit in the driveway and people would walk by, and he would never bark. And he just, you know, he just kind of lay there and wag his tail, you know. Tuck, 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 tuck. And I thought, man, our, our golden retriever is, there's something wrong with them, you know. <laughs> but you know what? It was once he got older, the hips started going. You know, that kind of happens. It, we went from walking Jake to walking Jake. And then he got to that point where he was mellow. He'd sit out front. It didn't matter if a dog walked by. He'd just kind of sit there. He was just happy. I think of Jake often when I think of myself. Because, you know, as a young man, you know, I could know the scriptures. I know what they say. But I'd find myself worrying and fretting and, and you know, just wanting get, to get involved in this and that and getting myself into trouble and this type of thing. And it's like the older you get or the longer you walk with the Lord, you just kind of mellow out and you realize the Lord's got it covered. I need to be obedient to my master. I need to just mellow out. Trust him. Believe that he has <laughs> my needs, my concerns, my care, that he won't let me go without, that I don't need to pursue things as the world pursues things. We have the greatest message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for rich and poor alike. It's for young and old we have it. We must not mix anything with it. 
Because when we mix other things with it, like prosperity or things like that, we damage the purity of the gospel. So, Nehemiah, come on up and lead us. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we pray that if there are any here or any listening that have not placed their faith in you, and maybe maybe today just something that was read, scripture that was read, and maybe it's resonating with them, and they're thinking, boy, I'm, I'm trying to serve two masters, or I'm not serving Christ at all, but I am pursuing riches. We pray, Father, that you would just show them that you are truly the answer, that you're the one that should be our treasure on this earth until we go home to be with you, our treasure. And we pray, Father, that if we're struggling, if we're fretting because the ends aren't meeting, or we just want, we're just not satisfied with what we have, and we're wanting more, that we'd be able to maybe spend some time in fasting and prayer and say, Lord, would you release me from this? Would you help me to walk in obedience in these areas, Lord? So that I may, if I hear you say, Lord, I want you, Danny, I want you to go this way. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. That we'd be ready to do it. We wouldn't have excuses and say, well, I don't have the, I don't have the resources or I don't have the time or I just can't do this. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.